Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. I've got Kit Fox in the studio today. Hello, Kit. Hey, Rachel. Runner's World associate editor, frequent human race and Runner's World show contributor. Kit has our story today. So let us know, where does it start? Starts at the 2016 U.S. Olympic trials last summer. I was there reporting the event and there's this guy that catches my attention. He competes in the 1500. Okay, attention grabbing how? So first off, he stands out from the rest of the field. He has this awesome scraggly beard and dark blonde long hair held back by a red headband. And also, he's not wearing a singlet with a huge shoe company name on it. He's unsponsored. So he's got this edge about him, and I like it. Like, he's got something to prove. Yeah, and you're there, and you usually write about the front runners. Yeah, yeah, like Matt Centrowitz and Ben Blankenship. But this guy, his name is Brandon Hudgens. He has a pretty remarkable backstory. And you actually wrote about it for Runner's World. You said, and, and this is in the headline, you said he had the, quote, comeback story of the trials. Yeah, and it's totally true. Because Brandon has this rare form of a disease called vasculitis. It affects about three in every 100,000 people. What is vasculitis? So first off, the disease has no known cause and also no known cure. And it can be fatal. But I think for Brandon, the worst part is that it attacks the very thing in your body that you need to run fast. The veins and the blood vessels that carry oxygen to the muscles. So did he have the disease at the trials? Yeah, he'll always have this disease, but... There's treatment options, so it can be beaten back into remission, kind of like cancer. Um, And so at the trials, he was strong and healthy, you know, at the top of his game. But over the previous nine years, he's had relapses three times. So what does that what does what does that mean, a relapse? Um, It's pretty awful, actually. Each time, essentially, it takes away all of his talent. There's these painful symptoms like respiratory infections, loss of hearing, just feeling tired all the time. Uh, Like, he has to completely stop running when he relapses. But at the Olympic trials, he had staged a comeback. So I interviewed him, and he was so excited when we talked. So were his friends and family, his mom, his dad, his coach, his girlfriend. They all were, like, chiming in with comments. (laughs) That's great. I felt like, yeah, I felt like we were at the end of this inspired by true events Disney movie. You know, great script. Guy has been dealt a crappy hand in life with a horrible disease. Guy fights off the disease three times. Guy never gives up and ends up fulfilling his dream. I'd watch that movie. Heck, I'd even listen to a podcast about it. Oh, yeah, well, 
I guess you're about to. Good setup. <laughs> um, so Brandon placed ninth in the semifinal heat at the Olympic trials. That puts him within the 25 fastest 1,500-meter runners in America. Here's how he described the moment. At that point in time, 19 years of running, um, nine years of a really up-and-down career battle with my health. Um, it was. It was the storybook classic pinnacle moment. That was it. Wow. And such a triumphant ending. So I follow Brandon on social media, and this winter he posted an update. I felt compelled to check back in. I may have written this triumphant ending a year ago, but that is definitely not where his story ends. I'm Rachel Swaby. And I'm Kit Fox. This is Human Race. On Human Race, we tell stories about runners and the world of running. This episode, Brandon Hudgens, and a battle between a wicked disease and the drive for athletic achievement. Brandon's body has gifted him with the genes and the desire to become one of America's fastest 1,500-meter runners. Yet ironically and cruelly, that same body-hosted disorder capable of taking it all away. In this battle, he sacrificed his job and his credit score, racked up thousands of dollars in medical bills, literally sold the shirt off his back, and slogged through hundreds of torturous miles, never sure when the next wave of illness would come, and never willing to forfeit his dream to run professionally in order to take care of his health. To tell the rest of Brandon's story, Kit went to visit Brandon this spring, and Kit will take it from here. How's it going? I am doing really well. I went to see Brandon in March at his parents' house in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Good to see you again. When my Uber pulled up to the driveway of the beige one-story home, Brandon was just inside the front door. When I first met him at the Olympic trials, he was in the best shape of his life. Now, I felt a bit nervous and awkward seeing him again. What's going on, Brandon? How you doing? Good to see you. I asked him how he was doing as a reflex, but I knew he wasn't doing well. Your beard's gotten a little bit more voluminous since the last time I saw you. A lot of hard work, you know? He had this blonde beard. Put me at ease. He was a little less tan. He admitted to being groggy, propped up on almost a full pot of coffee that day. As we settled in, his mom brewed us another pot. In the family room, on a white bookshelf, there are plaques and trophies and photos showing off school and career highlights. Brandon's track life, it began in this home. In 1997, he was 10 years old and wanted to run a 3,000-meter race for kids. It's almost two miles. And I bugged my dad to do it, and finally, like, about a week or so before the race, dad took me over here to this mile loop um, right where the course is at and said, you know, if you can run around this twice, because it's going to be a 3,000 meter race, like if you can run around this twice without stopping, I'll let you do it. Thinking that I would not do it. Um, well, I'm still running 20 years later. <laughs> um, so I obviously proved him wrong. Brandon was a scrawny kid with talent that blossomed into South Carolina state champion in the mile in 2005. 
he ran a 4.16 as a senior in high school. That was good enough for him to make the cross country and track team at Winthrop University in 2006. Brandon was a punk college kid with a chip on his shoulder. In high school, he was bullied for being the track geek, outside of the football culture that dominated the town. From early on, he felt he needed to prove he could be successful at running. His ambitions were grander than college success. He wanted to make the Olympics. And in the summer of 2007, that's the summer before his junior year at Winthrop, he could see the road there. He was getting faster, stronger. It's, it's like doing slam dunks for me. Like, it's just the, the sensation of running fast is fun. And what can you compare it to? Like, that feeling you get? I know the only thing that's probably better than it is probably sex. I mean, like, to be honest, like, I mean, there's not a better feeling for me than just smashing 200s and 300s and 400s. Just 200, 300, and 400 meter sprints, that is. Just running fast and just pushing your body to the limits and just the feel that you're, the feeling your foot gets when you put it into the ground and it comes off quick, you know, and it's just like you look down at yourself and you just like, you see the veins from your feet all the way up to your stomach, you know, it's like that fitness and like where you've pushed your body to is just, it's addicting. He felt confident, trained, and mentally ready to take on the next year. And then in September, I started having um, these breathing problems. At first, he thought it just might be a bad cold or maybe the flu. His sinuses flared, so he thought maybe it was just a nasty infection. Doctors gave him antibiotics and taught him how to use a neti pot. He'd pour the nasal solution straight into the nose and hope it would clear so he could finally just breathe. Running for like 10 or 20 seconds or a minute or something like that felt like the last like 10 meters of an 800 meter race where you're just completely locked up. Um, you know, because my muscles could not get any oxygen. So any sort of exercise is just, you know, you're already at your max, like right away. Um, your, your body can't keep up. I mean, yeah, that must have been terrifying. <laughs> like, what, what, what was going through your head? Like, did you think you were dying? Like, yeah, yeah. I, like, there was a lot of that. It's like, just like, there's an older gentleman, I don't even know his name, who runs around town here a lot, that during that one of those times I was kind of trying to get back out and run some, at the time, the guy's probably in his 70s, and he went flying past me, you know, and he, he was trotting. And I just, I, I sat down and just cried because I was like, what is, what is wrong with me? Like, I can't, because you're like so shunted off, you can't even like open up and run. Like, it's just like a, um, I felt like I was dying, but I didn't know that I needed to really be thinking and realizing that I actually, <laughs> that actually, my organs were starting to basically start to shut down and my kidneys weren't working properly. By January, Brennan had to stop running altogether. He'd lost 90% of his hearing in one ear and 80% in the other. He had sores on the inside of his nose, and he nearly lost kidney function. In April of 2008, doctors finally diagnosed him with a condition called granulomatosis with polyangitis, GPA for short. It's a rare form of vasculitis. At the time, the disease was treated using a combination of prednisone, a steroid that helps manage the pain and symptoms of inflammation, and a chemo drug similar to those given to cancer patients. The regimen can knock the disease back into remission, but also like cancer, it can return. 
Between the time Brandon first got sick with the disease in 2007 and the Olympic trials in 2016, he relapsed three times. Each time he'd build himself up to top-notch fitness only for the disease to strike again. This is like being on the world's worst roller coaster ride, but with every drop more discouraging. Each relapse came with something like its own distinct stage of grief. When he was first diagnosed in 2008, he was in denial. He Googled the name of the disease and learned that up until the 70s, his type of vasculitis was nearly always fatal after a few months. He freaked out, turned away from his computer, too scared to learn anything else. I was kind of ashamed of it in a, in a, in a way and didn't really want it to be a conversation piece. The second time it came back in 2012, he reacted with anger. I'd, I had a panic attack, threw all my stuff in the trash can. I was just like, I can't do this. Um, Describe the scene. Like, what stuff were you taking out to the garbage? What were you thinking or saying? Uh, there was uh, a lot of a lot of yelling on my half. My mom was crying. My dad was kind of standing there in shock. Um, <laughs> but you know, all my, I was throwing my running clothes away, my shoes. I was tearing posters off the wall. You know, like anything that was running related was trash I can't I can't live training so hard not knowing if this is just going to come back at any moment in time and just take it all away from me and the third time in 2013 he suffered from depression like how dark did it get uh you know I never seriously contemplated suicide but there was a lot of times that I wished and knew that it would be easier to die, if that makes sense. There was a lot of times, like, laying there when you're laying there in bed or you're stuck just kind of in your own little, like, hoodie moment. Um, cue some bathroom scene in some movie with some girl crying in the shower, you know? Like, there's kind of like a lot of moments like that where you just kind of have these breakdowns um, that are really dark. Even during these lows... There were people in his life who understood just how much running had a pull on Brandon. Who knew that no matter how sick he got or how mad he got, he couldn't get rid of running so easily. Like, why did you dig his clothes out of the trash can? <laughs> um, I, well, first of all, I just didn't want to see him giving up like that because, like I said, I knew how much it meant to him. That's Emily Hudgens, Brandon's mom. After Brandon calmed down from the panic attack, she was the one that went back to the trash can and fished everything out. I was afraid that he would be sorry that he had at some point because I knew a lot of it was because of the, you know, the anger and the fear and the anxiety that had built up. And, and he did go back into remission. Each time he got healthy, he threw himself into running, achieving, frankly, astounding success especially considering what he'd gone through. So that first time he got sick, back in 2007, he had to stop running for two years. But he started again, training. He transferred to Appalachian State and Boone, North Carolina to compete with their track team. And in 2010, he won the Southern Conference Championships in the 1500, a feat that his doctors, his parents, and frankly, Brandon himself could hardly believe. But he wasn't done. 
He graduated with a master's degree in exercise science, scored a shoe sponsorship with Saucony, nearly qualified for the 2012 Olympic trials. Then, he had a second relapse, lost the shoe contract. But he got healthy again, was on his way to the top level. Then yes, another relapse, his third. The one that sent him into a depression. But he rebounded again, and spectacularly, in the summer of 2015, he broke the four-minute mile barrier, a lifelong goal. Here's what he sounded like after that race. It's been 10 years coming. Um, I've ridden a really long, tough ride. Um, I've quit three times because of my immune system, just knocking me out, and I didn't think I could get back. And there's a lot of people that believed in me, and there was a lot of times that I didn't honestly believe in myself. And to do it here in North Carolina with my mom and my dad here, my coach drove down from Philly today to see this. It, it means I can't, I really can't describe it, honestly. And then he makes it to the 2016 Olympic trials. So we're back to the storybook ending, the one I wrote a year ago. He's overcome vasculitis three times, battled anxiety and depression, earned media attention for his resilience. He looks up to that crowd to find his parents, and he smiles through the rain. Hang with that moment for a minute, because it doesn't last. Brandon's life today, a nationally recognized athlete with a body that won't cooperate. That's after the break. And we're back. In January of this year, Skechers signed Brandon to a contract. They sent him a huge package of free gear and the promise of bonuses if he performed well at upcoming meets. He was slated to have the best season of his life finally at 30 years old. And then he started having breathing problems again. <clears throat> what, <clears throat> what I'm trying to get to with all this is, God dang it. <laughs> Don't worry. <clears throat> Maybe I should eat a strawberry. Yeah. He went from being able to complete a mile in under four minutes to barely able to trot through one in 15. Living with his brother in Boone, North Carolina, to moving back in with his parents in South Carolina. Getting up at dawn to finish a brutal workout, to sleeping in until mid-morning, only to crawl back in bed a few hours later for a nap. When the disease comes back at its worst, his joints swell up. He gets sores and scabs on the inside of his nose. He has piercing headaches. His feet and hands will go numb. Sometimes he wakes up and can barely get out of bed. His brother or his parents have to help him. Every other week for two months, he'd go to a clinic near his parents' house in Rock Hill to receive an infusion of a drug called Rituxan. It's designed to reduce the inflammation in his blood vessels. That infusion process can take more than four hours. I asked Brandon to start recording voice memos during the treatments and recovery. In his past relapses, his mental health sunk to some pretty dark, scary places. I wanted to know how he was feeling this time around. I wanted to know how he, once again, was coping with the fact that all of his hard work, all of the success he was about to achieve, was taken away in a matter of days. Checking in with everybody here. 
Um, it's 9.50 a.m. on March 3rd, Friday. Uh, just started my, uh, my drip here. Uh, already pretty tired of the better drill stuff's kicking they give you. Um, so your body doesn't like completely freak out. Um, and then they give you a steroid that jacks you back up. Um, and then you get the, uh, then you get the rituxin. I already start to kind of get a little tired. Um, so definitely going to be taking a nap here. The next night, he sent me this. All right. It's pretty late on um, Saturday night here. It's about 1.30, maybe 2 o'clock. I hadn't checked in since the uh, infusion yesterday afternoon. Uh, it's been a long day, actually. Um, woke up um, early this morning, which is unusual the day after infusion. Normally I sleep really, really long. Um, but my uh, heart was actually kind of acting weird. Um which was a bit worrisome. And, uh, you know, it's one of those possible side effects that uh, you read in a pamphlet that says contact a doctor immediately. Um, so I actually spent a good bit of the day in the emergency room um, going through a battery of tests, uh, only for them to tell me nothing was wrong. Um, so that was, you know, a bit frustrating, kind of a day gone, you know. A lot of money down the drain <laughs> for an emergency room visit um, to tell them I'm all right. You know, sometimes you feel a bit crazy. Um, my heart rate's been kind of off, you know. Uh, it's been really shallow all day, kind of been hard to catch a, I don't say catch my breath, but, um, you know, my heart rate's a good bit higher than it normally is, and my heart's not beating as strong. Listening to his thoughts, you start to realize how frustrating vasculitis is. The recovery isn't linear. You start to feel better one day, and then the next, you can end up back in the emergency room, not knowing why. As a barometer to see how he's feeling each day, Brandon would go outside for 40 minutes trying to run. He'd walk when he needed. And on some of those days, he'd start to feel good. By no means normal, but he'd feel like he was healing. Tuesday, March 3rd here, checking in. Just finished exercising. Uh, finally had a, you know, relatively good day out there. Um, almost felt like a jogger again, you know. Uh, my foot was kind of hitting the ground, you know. Kind of felt a little, not snappy or poppy, obviously, but... But just days later, he can feel like this. Saturday, March 11th, just finished a little exercise session um, where every step I felt like vomiting. I managed to hold it off um, for the most part. Uh, it's kind of new. Got the spins last night. That was new too. Might as well have been drunk laying in my bed. It was weird having the spins and not... I mean, I don't even get the spins when I get drunk. He recorded this the day after getting an infusion. It's hard because I'm starting to get really, really antsy. Starting to get really you know, tired of just, you know, laying around all the time. And it's kind of killed my, my motivation to do stuff. You know, I've ended up flat broke. I also just don't really even feel like myself. 
I flew to Rock Hill on March 26th, a little over a week after his last infusion. In his parents' living room, we chatted for more than four hours about his recovery. I felt like I kept asking him the same question over and over again. What, I, what I'm trying to understand, it, it almost seems like, like torture in a way where you've decided that your livelihood is going to be based around the main thing that you can't do when this, when, you know, when you get this disease again. I might be a masticus. Is that the right word? Like, I just like to torture myself. <laughs> like, um, I, 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 like I said, you know, it's, I, I can't even really remember why I started running. Um, and it's a question I ask myself a lot. You know, why do I do this to myself? You know, he couldn't explain it. Why it was so important to him to turn around and compete at the top level again. But as we talked more about his recovery this time around, I could tell he was approaching it differently than the previous three relapses. Yeah, things could get dark, but never into the depths of depression that he'd suffered before. He started seeing a therapist and says that that's helped tremendously. He's learned strategies to deal with panic attacks, how to keep his mind from spiraling down a dark chasm. But mostly, what's changed is his openness about the disease. Where he used to be ashamed to tell others what he was going through, now he's actually involved in the Vasculitis Foundation, an organization that fundraises for research money and provides support to patients. Brandon runs their social media accounts. He blogs about his experience, and he started the social media hashtag Victory Over Vasculitis. He's learned strategies on how to cope with the disease, how to not let things get so dark. And he shares his experience with other patients. He responds to their letters. Some of them are young. Some of them want to run. You know, that's what I want to give other vasculitis patients. I want to give them the tools to succeed. But he's still not done chasing his own ambitions. He wants to be a professional runner again. He dreams of making the Olympics. So most days, even if he feels like vomiting, even if when he does, he gets passed by a 70-year-old man, he goes outside and he moves his feet. That afternoon, after hours of talking and several more mugs of coffee, I joined Brandon for his daily run. The air was thick, the sky an ominous gray, on the cusp of releasing some drops. We planned to run about four miles. Brandon really wasn't sure how fast the pace could be. He wears a watch, but refuses to calculate the time or distance because it discourages him. We took a ride out of his driveway and ran in the middle of the suburban street. What did you just do there? I slam dunked a child basketball goal. Is that, that I, it? That I didn't have to jump to slam dunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, this, the thing about this is this is radio, so that was an 11-foot tall oh, rim. Yeah. How, how do you feel right now? So right now my feet are completely numb. <laughs> um, that does not sound good. No, it happens though. They'll, they'll kind of warm up. But actually, the only time they're ever really warm right now um, is about 20 minutes into exercise, 25 minutes into exercise. They'll normally kind of end up heating up a little bit. I just feel like I'm plotting. Is there like an analogy like... You know, I've, I've never have and never will experience the level of fitness that someone like, one like you got. But like this right now is 
slower than my easy pace. <laughs> I, I feel trapped. I feel hindered. I feel weak. Um, I feel like a mortal when I've been more immortal. That would be the best way to describe it. You know, I know what my body's capable of and I know what that stuff feels like. And I know what it feels like to feel great exercising and running and feel like you can run through a brick wall. And right now, a rock could trip me up. Around three miles in, it started to rain and I can hear Brandon's labored breathing. I look at my watch. We are running just under nine minute pace. This is a good clip for most of us, but agonizingly slow for Brandon. His easy pace usually hovers around the 645 to 630 range. We pass a little pond. Do you have any specific memories of this course? So right now we are running on the loop around this lake. It's one mile around this lake that my dad took me to um, before my first race. If I ran twice around this without stopping, um, we would, uh, he would let me run the race. So, um, <laughs> there's that memory. <laughs> so were you running? Yeah, that'd be faster than we're running now. So, you know, <laughs> even as a 10 year old, my 10 year old self, I guess, could have, could have whipped me right now. So. To get back to his parents' street, we have to run up a short, steep hill and around a chain link barrier. Then there's about a 400 meter straight stretch. I notice Brandon picks up the pace. So this strip of, strip of road here, um, I've won every race on, ever. Any race that has ever existed, races that I'll never run, have been won on this road, in my mind. You know, I beat all my high school rivals on this road. I beat a lot of people in college on this road. I beat when I was home. Um, when I was living at home as a post-collegiate, um, I was qualifying for the trials on this road in 2012. I was one in the Olympic trials. I was one in the Boston Marathon on this road. I love this so much. I try to imagine him at the peak of his fitness, soaked with sweat, charging at full steam in the middle of this quiet neighborhood. He probably shocked people, running almost as fast as the speed limit for cars, trying to reach the finish line of whatever race happened to be in his mind that day. On this afternoon, we weren't exactly sprinting. Brandon looks like he was struggling, longing to release the energy and speed that his body once had. Instead, we slowed down to a jog and then to a walk, reaching a stop sign across the street from his parents' house. The Spotties uses a finish line for training runs throughout his career. Um, what, what did we just win? Life. Nah, I, I don't know, man. We won a good day. I got to exercise. Um, it wasn't too bad. We got like, 36 minutes in. So. A road trip, a rheumatologist, and some dark tattoos. That's after the break. And we're back. I'll drive to start with us to get us out of here. All right, so real quick, Brandon, where are we going? All right, we are on the way to uh, Charleston, South Kakalaka. 
Let me start that. I had a lisp at the beginning of that. <laughs> We're on the way to Charleston, South Carolina. Um, it's about a three-hour drive. Um, it's where my doctor's at. Uh, he, he's kind of the best guy in the area. I need the, I need the keys, Mom. Oh. <laughs> Not going. Do you need a car? On pretty much the same highway for 180 miles, we head south to visit Dr. Alan Brown, a rheumatologist who has been treating Brandon since he was first diagnosed in 2008. Brandon has taken this trip dozens of times, many of them lying in the back of the car, frustrated, feeling sick, worried that the disease has come back as his nervous parents weave through traffic. His parents, Calvin and Emily, don't remember exactly when the worst one happened but they do remember around 2013 when Brandon called them in the middle of an anxiety attack. He could feel the disease creeping back, ready once again to steal his talent. They sped two hours north to Boone where he was living, and then another five south to Charlotte. Brandon spoke maybe two words the whole ride. That's how his parents knew it was serious. This was the relapse that sparked the bout with depression. Today, as Brandon drives with me in the front seat and his mom Emily in the back, the mood is different. This is the follow-up appointment to see if Brandon's treatment is working. Over the past few months, he's had those four infusions of rituxan, the one that attacks his cells in the immune system responsible for the inflammation of the blood vessels. Dr. Brown will tell Brandon if he's finally on his way to remission. It's a three-hour drive. We cover his love of Waffle House and Joe Montana. I ask him about his tattoos. I've seen several creep through the sleeves of his shirt. So the first one I got, um, I got my freshman year of college is a wing foot um, that was drawn by my brother that's on my leg, my right thigh. It's a foot with wings on the side, kind of a standard tattoo for distance runners. And there's a skull and crossbones with a top hat on his ribs. Also a logo of Appalachian State's mascot and an image of a crow he calls Larry on his right arm. It's unfinished because he ran out of money. There's six altogether. But the one that has the most meaning is in black gothic letters across his chest. He got it after relapsing for the second time. It reads, all hope is gone. So a lot of people say that's kind of dark, like all hope is gone. They're like, well, that's really depressing. Is kind of most people's first instinct. Um, but it's um, kind of about like being okay with the journey. Um, you know, I, I, I wasted a lot of time in my early life or early 20s like hoping that something was going to change but I, I realized that, that was kind of like wasted energy I find this a bit shocking here's a guy who has an incurable disease who has suffered depression from that disease declaring that there's no more hope permanently across his chest you know inspiration's good but hoping I, I think is, is kind of a fickle thing um, you know, if you're just hoping for something to happen and not really doing anything about it, um, because things aren't going to happen sometimes, no matter how hard you work for something. Something's just not going to happen. But the more we talk, it actually starts to make sense. Brandon has realized he can't hope. He can't hope that the disease will go away and never come back. He can't hope that he will be fast again one day. The reality of his condition means his running career could be over as he knows it. Vasculitis is a disease of uncertainty. The treatment options are effective, but still, for some patients it's fatal. For others, 
It appears once and never comes back. Still others never even go into remission. Brandon could recover and never get the disease again. Or the disease could cut his life short by a few years. He has no idea. I kind of honestly hate the word hope and it kind of really bugs me. Not relying on hope is the way he's decided to deal with all of it. All this not knowing. He says this realization has helped him cope with his anxiety and depression. It's this weird, complicated, beautiful paradox. Because Brandon has hedged his entire life on the fact that he'll go into remission from vasculitis, be able to train again, earn a sponsorship, and run fast. Last May before the trials, he quit his full-time job working the front desk at a mountain resort in Boone to pursue running full-time. Since, he's maxed out credit cards, traveling to train and compete. But then, when vasculitis hit, he mounted a pile of medical expenses. He expects to have to pay over $10,000 after insurance. He doesn't have a job. He's too sick. His health is too unpredictable. He's currently waiting to receive disability benefits from the government. It's gone to the point where in March, he started selling some of his prized possessions on eBay. Like the shorts he wore when he broke four minutes in the mile. And through everything, he is still still going outside for 40 minutes most days, nearly every day plodding through runs, even if he feels like vomiting every step of the way. He's doing all of this, not because he's hoping the disease will go away. He's doing it precisely because he can't control whether or not it will come back. Hey, Brian Hudgens. Yes. Dr. Brown's office is in a suburban business park on the north side of the city. Brandon is a bit of a celebrity there. Right next to the door leading to the back room, there's a portrait of him hanging on the wall. The shot shows him at the finish line of the Sir Walter Mile, the moment he knows he's broken four minutes. He's releasing a scream, his muscles corded from exertion. There's a note in the corner. The note says, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for everything you have done to keep me alive and running over the last eight years. Exercise is encouraged in vasculitis patients. But because it attacks the critical functions needed for speed and endurance, virtually no one, including Dr. Brown, ever predicted you could have the success Brandon has had with the disease. All the best. And then my name underneath it scribbled. The photo is only one of a few on the wall in the lobby. It's hung right next to the back door, so every vasculitis patient has to pass it. It's like this little beacon of inspiration, showing other patients what can be possible. <laughs> His name's called and we go back. I take his weight and then direct him to a small windowless room with a computer and checkup chair. We sit and wait a few minutes for the doctor to come. Brandon fills out a form with a bunch of questions about his current symptoms. These questions always hurt me too because like when you're training you can almost fail all of these questions. It's like, do you have any trouble getting in and out of bed? Yes, every day I'm always tired. <laughs> There's one there about the level of soreness. When he runs 70 miles a week, he's always sore. And there's one about his normal heart rate, which at his peak fitness is usually at an astonishing 45 to 50 beats per minute. Dr. Brown walks in. How you doing? Good, I think. You got your Rituxan. I got my Rituxan. Uh, the last one was two weeks ago Friday. What's your prednisone dose? 
Prednisone is the steroid that helps Brandon manage the pain and symptoms caused by the disease. He upped the dosage himself a few months ago because he woke up one morning and couldn't bend his wrists enough to open the bottle. heart rate was pretty high and felt really weak. Brandon and Dr. Brown began bantering back and forth, talking about his symptoms over the past two months. It's a litany of awful-sounding ailments caused by both the disease and the drugs attacking the disease. For a while, Brandon felt like he had bronchitis. He started getting massive bleeding scabs on the inside of his nose. He felt pressure behind his eyes. His joints swelled up. So if you're jogging, you're not running? Yeah, not, I mean, I'm nowhere, you know, I've... What are you doing? Like three or four, three, four miles at about eight, and what was it yesterday, eight and a half minute pace? Kit went with me, Um, which for me is really, 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 really slow. Um, But... Before the rituxin, I couldn't, yeah. I could hardly walk. Okay. So you have definitely noticed some improvement after So, yes. Okay. So My hope is that we'll just be able to taper you off the prednisone and not have you on anything else. Tapering off prednisone would be good news because it's the next step towards remission. Brandon smiles. This is the anticlimactic highlight of the appointment, but that's the thing with this disease. There's no definitive end. It's just small, incremental steps towards feeling normal again. You need anything else for me? Give me some blood and some urine. Um, well, I think things look good. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel better. Good. On the way out, we pass the front desk, and the receptionist asked Brandon for an autograph. She and her boyfriend are runners. We then head to the car where Brandon's mom is waiting in the back seat. He tells her the good news. We go to the Waffle House to celebrate. Brandon orders the all-star breakfast with hash browns, scrambled eggs, toast, and a course of waffle. A few hours later... I was back on a plane, headed home. I felt optimistic, hopeful even, despite Brandon's warning. And this, this is where I thought the story would end. It's not the dramatic finale in a stadium full of thousands of people, but it's a sign that things are improving for Brandon Hudgens. I hoped he would get off the meds. I hoped he would start training seriously, not just plotting. I hoped he would be able to compete again soon. Maybe I should have learned from his tattoo. After I got home, we didn't speak for a few weeks. Then on April 24th, he sent me an update. A week after the doctor's visit, he was back in the ER. Some blood work came back saying his kidney function was in decline. He couldn't start tapering off the meds. He was not closer to a finish line. It also meant his running suffered. When we'd run together, we'd gone almost 40 minutes. Now, he could barely do 20. He sent me an audio update, recorded right after he finished a run. So it's Tuesday, May 16th, uh, a day after my last update that I said might be my last. Uh, I'm sorry. Got to about 23 minutes today, and it's just like the wheels come off, and they come off fast. And uh, it sucks because uh, you feel like you're close and things are getting better, but you know, you just can't, you know, you're cha- I'm chained with something else right now, which sucks. I just can't help feeling devastated and so frustrated for Brandon. Even if he does get healthy, vasculitis could just take that all away again. And that is why I realize he has that tattoo. All hope is gone. Brandon isn't wasting his time hoping. 
He's too busy doing, fighting, trying to be satisfied with what he's got. Back in March, on the couch at his parents' house, I kept asking him, why do this? Why pursue something that your body keeps just stealing away? He kept having trouble answering. But near the end of our conversation, I asked him one more time, why? Vasculitis patients is like, we've been given a bad hand, but we're going to have to play with them. And you know what? It's better to sit at the table and play than not play at all. And I mean, chasing this dream, I've had some of the coolest experiences, met some of the coolest people, you know, I, you know, in my, in my case of my dream, like I get to travel, you know, I get to travel the U S and hopefully the world eventually, um, doing what I love to do. And there's the, that's, it shouldn't that be everybody's dream. Um, so that's all I really want. I want people to think running is cool and I want more people to chase their dreams. And if I can accomplish that, I guess with my running career, I guess I will, you know, I've really succeeded. You know, if I can accomplish that, I'm kind of realizing that right now as you, <laughs> I don't know if you, if I don't ever get to do it again, but I've inspired some people. I guess I could say that I would be happy. Yeah, I think I could say that. So. I, I, I'll be able to walk away now and be happy. This episode was produced by Kit Fox with me, Rachel Swaby. We had great feedback from Christine Fennessy, Brian Dalek, and Sylvia Ryerson. Our theme music is by Danny Cock. Human race is a proud part of Panoply. We reported this story over several months, so we wanted to give you the latest on Brandon's health. Kit checked in with Brandon this last weekend, and Brandon says he's still struggling with his health, but he has had some successes. He was able to break six minutes in the mile last week, and then he says, only two more minutes to go. If you're interested in hearing more about Brandon and more about vasculitis, you can learn more on our show page at runnersworld.com audio. We have pictures and links to Kit's original story and a link to the Vasculitis Foundation. And if you're enjoying Human Race and you haven't already, it would be an enormous help if you could go on iTunes and give us a rating. We would appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much, and we will see you in two weeks. 